that said, let's open up our Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to draw your attention this evening, beginning at verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 this evening. And in verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Shall we pray tonight? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word this evening, Lord, we pray that once again you would allow us to understand the person, the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts he imparts and how that we may be able to use those to further your kingdom and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This evening, we are continuing our series of studies on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we will conclude this series with one final Bible study. The truth is, there is so much that could be said on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Prayerfully, what we've been learning together has given you a little bit better understanding. But over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are extremely useful and readily available to the believer in Jesus Christ. And tonight, I want us to look at a particular gift that can be easily overlooked and even understated. And that is the gift of helps. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul compares the church to a physical body. And like a physical body, the church has many members. We're all connected to one another. And when the body is healthy, it's functioning the way it was intended to. Each individual, each part of the church has different gifts that have been distributed to us by the Holy Spirit. And when these gifts are in operation, much can be done for the glory of God. And the gift of helps is a blessing to the body of Christ. The Greek word translated here for helps in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 28, means simply to relieve, to assist, to participate in, or support. The gift of helps is also at times referred to as the gift of service or the gift of mercy. Characteristically, people with the spiritual gift of helps will display a natural heart of a servant and seek the well-being of others to the point of personal self-sacrifice. It's not uncommon for people with the spiritual gift of helps to sometimes feel as though they don't have any gift at all, but that 
is far from the truth. Those with the gift of helps are those who can render assistance to others in the church with a great amount of compassion and grace. This gift of helps has a broad range of applications within the church. There are so many things that need to be done in order that the church might meet the needs of those within the body and even those outside of the church body. And that's one of the reasons that I personally feel that the gift of helps is one of the most important gifts in the body of Christ. If those with the gift of helps stopped helping, so much of the ministry would cease to exist. Last night, my wife and I attended a high school basketball game. And as we were watching the game, you begin to notice that a team usually has one or two players who stand out among the others and score the most points. They're usually taller, not always. (laughs) But these high-scoring players... They need a person who can effectively pass them the ball so they can score. And each time a person passes the ball to the person who scores, it's called an assist. Thank you, ladies. I knew you, would knew, you knew that. <laughs> but during last night's game, as we were watching it, there was one small player. And of course, I was excited to see him running up and down the court. <laughs> But one of the smaller players, he didn't score much at all. In fact, there was one time when he went up to score and a guy just put his hand over and roofed him. It was, and the crowd screamed loudly. But I'll tell you something. He had the most assists of the game that night. He helped his team win by his assistance. And in a similar way, those who exhibit the gift of helps are usually assisting those who are in need. They're building up the church in service to Christ. And beyond the the practical application, a believer with the spiritual gift of helps has the unique ability to see when someone has an emotional or even a spiritual need and their heart is filled with a willingness and even a joy to help them. They may visit someone who is isolated due to an illness or for some other reason. They they bring friendship to those that are lonely. They, They offer words of compassion and care and concern to a discouraged friend. They offer spiritual encouragement to a fellow believer who is struggling with their faith. The gift of helps is an important gift in the body of Christ. As you read through the scriptures, you observe this gift in operation. When reading through the Old Testament, I often think of those individuals who assisted others in their ministry. For example, the first person that comes to mind is the relationship between Moses and Joshua. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 28 Joshua is described in the following way. It says that Joshua, the son of Nun, was Moses' assistant. Again, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, 
It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Although Joshua was born a slave in Egypt, he became a faithful assistant to Moses any way that he could. Sometimes that meant waiting at the base of the mountain for Moses to return. Other times it meant staying by the tabernacle. And on other occasions, it meant leading the nation into battles against their enemies. Joshua was a faithful and effective assistant. Joshua was not the only one who assisted Moses. Turn for a moment to the book of Exodus chapter 18 in your Bible. There, the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, and I'll be drawing your attention to verse 17, but in Exodus, there is a record of a family reunion with Moses, his wife, his children, and his father-in-law, whose name was Jethro. And we read that Jethro had heard of what the Lord was doing through Moses. And during his time with Moses, he ended up, if I may say, accompanying Moses to the office. It was a sort of bring your father-in-law to work kind of a day. And so Jethro went with Moses. And while he was with him, Jethro observed the lines of people from morning until evening as they were standing before Moses as he proceeded to settle disputes, he answered questions, he sought to give impartial judgments, and Moses put in the long hours. Now imagine, the Bible says there were some 600,000 men alone. That's not counting women and children. There could have been upwards and above two million people, and you can imagine all of the needs that would be represented there. So in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 17, notice what it says, if you follow along. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and hundreds and fifties and rulers of tens and then let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it'll be easier for you for they will bear the burden with you. If then you do this thing as God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Jethro just gives some good advice from Moses. You are going to burn yourself out. You're going to burn these people out. You can't do this all by yourself. You need to be able to delegate to other people who can assist you in order that the people's needs can be met because if you don't, their needs will never be met. And so Moses listened to the advice of his father-in-law and he had several assistants who were raised up to help him care for the needs of the people. Another example in the Old Testament of one who assisted another that comes to mind is that of Elisha with Elijah. When Elijah the prophet's ministry 
was coming to an end. The Lord told him to anoint Elisha to eventually take his place. And when Elijah found Elisha, the Bible says that he was plowing in the field. Elijah then took his mantle and he threw it on Elisha. And this was symbolic that he was calling him into the ministry of being a prophet. And when that took place, the Bible tells us that Elisha stopped what he was doing. First Kings chapter 19, verse 21, it says this. It says, Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose, followed Elijah, and became his servant. Elisha began to follow Elijah everywhere that he went, and he was assisting him and helping him. And we know that he was a faithful assistant and eventually took up the mantle because after the transition took place and Elijah went away, you remember, in a chariot of fire, the day eventually came when Elisha took the role of the prophet among the people. And when Judah and Israel joined forces to go into battle, King Jehoshaphat, who was reigning in the south, needed a word from the Lord. And he sought the direction of a prophet. And that says in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, I just want you to see this. It says, Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here. Notice what it says. Who poured water on the hands of Elijah. It just gives you the indication that he was faithful. He, to, to pour hands on another was, was to, to be his servant, to be his assistant in the work of the ministry. When you move from the Old Testament, and I'm sure there are more examples that could be given, but you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter eight, during the ministry of Jesus, there is a passage of scripture that you could easily read over as it relates to two women who I believe had the gift of helps and assisted Jesus and the disciples in their ministry. Luke chapter eight, verse one, it reads this way. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and every village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And then it says in verse two, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, verse three, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him through their substance or from their substance, these two ladies who are mentioned here, again, you could just read over that and go on to the next verse and on to the miracles and the ministry of Jesus. But notice here that they were assisting. They were supporting from their substance. And the fruit of the ministry of Jesus was also accounted unto them. They were a part of it, in other words. They assisted. A great example of assistance in the New Testament is found in the book of Acts in chapter six. You may recall that the early church had encountered a dilemma that could have brought a division were it not for those who had the gift of helps. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, 
This will be a review for you. But the book of Acts in chapter two records that the Lord added 3,000 new believers to the early church in one day. And then the Bible says that he continued to add to the church daily those who were being saved. Then in Acts chapter four, it says that the number grew to about 5,000 believers and it was increasing daily. Acts chapter six, verse one says in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying and then in Acts chapter six, verse seven, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You come to the realization that the church was exploding with more and more people coming to faith, which created more and more needs, which can sometimes lead to more and more, well, problems. And one of the problems that they had was with the widows. There was a group of widows who were Hellenistic, meaning that they grew up in the Grecian culture with that background. And there was another group of widows who were Hebrews. So you had the Hellenistic widows and you had the Hebrew widows. And because the church was there in Jerusalem, the Hellenistic widows felt as though they were being slighted, that it seemed as though the Hebrew widows were getting their needs met while they were being neglected. And these women got into it. Sometimes women do. And they began to have disagreements with one another. And the apostles, I mean, it says that this was a great complaint. I mean, this was a potential of real division in the church. But even more than division in the church, what, what this complaint did and what this need ended up producing is the apostles had to step away from the word. They had to step away from prayer and what their ministry was. And they had to, they, they had to start distributing food to the widows. And so they realized that this was going to be a real problem because what they needed to do was preach and teach the word of God and disciple. So the apostles realized the problem and what they decided to do is they ended up selecting seven men, the Bible says, men who were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. These are good people to look for, by the way. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and that we may appoint them over this business. But we, they said, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so it's interesting, the people actually selected these men. And these men, interestingly enough, all had Greek names. It's appropriate. And so they were sensitive to the needs of the widows. Problem solved, these men took care of the practical needs Folks, what I'm saying is they use their gift of helps, and in this, they were serving tables. I also find it interesting that to serve tables, they had to be full of the Spirit. It's one thing to serve a table. It's another thing to be full of the Spirit and have somebody serve a table. But they use their gift of helps within the early church. I love what D.L. Moody said. He said, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try and do the work of 10 men. Another example of the gift of helps in the New Testament is there in the book of Acts at the end of Acts chapter 9. We read of a woman who lived in a seaport village called Joppa. It's located on the Mediterranean coast. Her name was Tabitha, which was 
her Aramaic name, and Dorcas, which is the Greek equivalent, but both mean gazelle. And this woman, the Bible tells us, she was full of good works. Her faith was demonstrated through her works. And I believe that she had the gift of helps. She labored with a sewing needle to provide for the needs of others. And the reason is there would often be many widows that lived in a seaport village. Their husbands would get on a boat, they would go out to sea, and some of them would die and never return. Thus, there were many widows, there were many children without fathers in this area. And so what Tabitha did is she took up their cause and she helped. But the Bible says she became sick and she died. The families were so distraught over this woman who had the gift of helps who died that they sent for the apostle Peter who was in Lydda just 11 miles away to come to Joppa and they sent for Peter, listen, not to preside over her memorial but actually to raise her from the dead. I've presided over many memorials in my day. And we even have one for one of our sisters who went home to be with the Lord this Saturday here at the church. And we'll be meeting here with her and celebrating her life as she went home to be with Jesus. Please be in prayer for that. But no one has ever said when I've been to, Pastor John, can you come? We'd like you to raise our loved one from the dead. I mean, I can't imagine what Peter must have thought when he ended up there. He thought he's just going to preside over them. They said, no, no, no. We, 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 she's up in the room. We want you to go up there and bring her back down alive. So the Bible tells us, Acts chapter nine, here's what it says. Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping. And I want, you to, I want you to see this. It says here that all the widows stood by him weeping and they showed him the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. This was her gift of helps in operation. This lady was so valuable in the gift of helps. They said, this woman needs to be raised from the dead. I mean, she needs to come back to life. Hey, listen, when Stephen died, no one said, hey, can you bring Stephen back from the dead? Not that, I mean, Stephen said, I see the Lord. I mean, obviously he was the first martyr of the church. I'm just making the point that this lady's ministry was so valuable, they felt they needed her to be raised from the dead. And so what happened? Peter put them all out. He knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. What, a, what an amazing miracle. This woman had the gift of helps and she was valuable to the church. Another example of the gift of helps is in the book of Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, if you are familiar with what took place there. Paul was on a missionary journey. You remember he sought to go into one region, the Lord shut the door. He sought to go into another region, the Lord shut the door again. And then he prayed and he saw a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. So he got onto a boat, went to the area of Macedonia and there was no synagogue there. There was just a few women who were down by the river's edge and they were, had a prayer meeting. And so Paul went there and he met a woman who was a seller of purple. Her name was Lydia. And it says in Acts chapter 16, the certain woman named Lydia 
heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. But then it says the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, look at this, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Lydia, after she was born again, after she was baptized, she just immediately said, I, I want to open up my house. I want to help the ministry here in Philippi. Can, can I just open up my house and, and, and let you just, just meet in my house? And, and she pleaded with us and persuaded us. And, and she was a valuable asset to the ministry because of her assistance. She just opened up her home. Well, I don't really have a ministry. Just open up your home. I mean, there's just so many ways that we serve the Lord that we kind of, we don't think, well, that doesn't qualify. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. Listen, you opened up your home with the gift of helps. And listen, can I just say to you that helps goes a lot longer in the body of Christ and helps a lot more than tongues does. I mean, it's a blessing. Thankful for the gift. But what I'm saying is I would much rather have 100 people with the gift of helps than, you know, 300 people with the gift of tongues. I'm just saying. And Paul said, I wish you all prophesied, which I agree with as well. But what I'm saying is it's valuable. It's valuable. Another example of the gift of helps and operation I was thinking today is in the book of 3 John. And in 3 John, John writes what have been referred to as his postcard epistles. Of course, he wrote the Gospel of John and he wrote the book of Revelation but he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. When I was a boy going to Christian school, can I just confess to you that I love the fact that my name showed up so many times in the Bible. <laughs> hey, look at it. I wrote this one. I wrote this one. As a kid, you just, my name, it's right here. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 4 John. You know, you, you just were really excited about it. And also Revelation, you know, and he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he outran Peter. I mean, these are all things that in a Christian school, you just go, yeah. Right on. Anyways. But what about John the Baptist who got beheaded? Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. But what, <laughs> where that came from, but the third, third John, the, the reason why they call them postcard epistles is because they're so small, his postcards. And in third John, he writes to a man by the name of Gaius and he commends him for his help with hospitality. In 3 John, here's what it says. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, which is, is very broad. Whatever you do, whatever way you're serving, whatever way you're helping, you know what? You do it for the brethren and you do it for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. I mean, here John is writing saying, you know what I appreciate about you guys is you, your, your help. You assist people. They show up. You house them. You feed them. You send them on their way. They show up. You give of your time. You just, you help people. You assist people from one place to the next. And I want you to know something that your love is spoken of throughout the churches. The way you help, everybody's aware of it. And there are certain people in this body who have this particular gift. And you could come to me and say, Pastor John, I need such and such. And I could say, hold on one second, let me, and I know who I'm gonna ask, or I know who I'm gonna call, because I, I know that person has the gift of helps. And they're ready and willing. As wonderful as all of these examples are, and again, there are more that we could consider, they really pale in comparison 
to the greatest and ultimate example we could look to, which is Jesus. Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to help others. And within his teaching, he emphasized the importance of being a helper, of being a servant, and he modeled it. And probably the greatest demonstration of this and one that is so well known is in the upper room in John chapter 13. As Jesus was with his disciples right before his death, the last supper, they're debating about who's gonna be the greatest. Jesus laid aside his garment, girded himself with a towel, took the lowest position in a household and went one by one washing the disciples' feet. John's feet, Matthew's feet, Judas's feet, Peter's feet. When he came to Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you, are you washing my feet? Uh, <laughs> obviously, I'm washing everybody's feet. But after he had completed washing their feet, he used it as an illustration And he encouraged them and exhorted them that they were to do the exact same thing. Jesus said, you remember in Mark chapter nine, verse 35, Jesus said, if a man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and a servant of all. He's gonna help everyone. It's interesting that the word that Jesus used for servant is where we get our English word, deacon. A minister, by the way, It's just another word for servant. That's all that it means. It doesn't mean hierarchy. It doesn't mean you have some or I have some position that is above everybody. Actually, it's a position that should be below everyone because it's the place of a servant. That that is what it truly means. That's what it should mean. The Apostle Paul also used this concerning himself. Many times he would refer to himself as Paul the bond servant of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter four, he uses a word for servant that is different than the word that Jesus used. And it is in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, it says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word that Paul uses, again, different from the word that Jesus used, it's a word that literally means an under rower, an under rower. In ancient times, maybe you've seen, I think probably a great example, the first that comes to mind is if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur. If you haven't seen it, I mean the old one with Charlton Huston. <laughs> that or you chain me to, you know, it's just a great, that's a terrible impression, but in ancient times, they had these large ships and they would set sail upon the seas, they would unfurl their sail, But what powered the ship so often were the under rowers. They weren't seen. They were below, on the lower decks. And down below, you would find someone beating on a drum with a cadence that kept them in rhythm as they rowed. And they were never seen they were helping. Who were they helping? They were helping the people above get to where they needed to go. And yet, they all had the same rank. They were just servants, 
rowing, under rowers, hard labor, and the least amount of appreciation, and yet they were helping. It's important that we understand that Jesus has called us to be servants, servants of one another, servants of the Lord, serving other people. Again, he modeled this for us, and he also encourages us to follow his example. Now, let me add to this that there are some pitfalls that need to be avoided when it comes to the gift of helps. And I want to mention them to you. First of all, <clears throat> it's possible to get easily distracted or even upset with others if you have the gift of helps. Mm, think with me for a moment, and I'll let you see it here with me. Luke chapter 10 in verse 44. You remember Mary and Martha, those two sweet sisters? Had a brother named Lazarus who died, who Jesus brought back to life. Lived in Bethany. Jesus loved these people. And he would go to their house, and he would eat with them there in Bethany. But on one particular occasion, Jesus just showed up with his entourage of disciples. Hey, here we are. You remember? Luke chapter 10, verse 42. And it says there that Martha was distracted with what? With much serving, with helping. I mean, can you imagine just people just showing up at your house unannounced? Yeah, we got in the kitchen. You know, it's not like they had a refrigerator and you know, just everything accessible to them. I mean, this took some time. So there they are, and Martha was distracted with much serving, and this is classic. She approached Jesus, and she said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, you remember? Therefore, tell her. She's now telling the Lord. This class, I was like, whoa, Martha, hey, whoo. <laughs> Chill, lady. She, she tells Jesus, Lord. She calls him Lord. Tell my sister. Get in here. I mean, that's loosely. Tell her to help me. Jesus answered. And I think, I just think Jesus probably smiled. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Listen, it's not wrong to serve like Martha. I think, I think we need people to serve like Martha. And we also need people to sit like Mary. I think it's important to have the, the, the servant's heart of Martha and, and the worshiping heart of Mary. You have both of those together. That's a wonderful combination. But sometimes when you have the gift of helps and you immediately go into action, if you're not careful, you know what? Um, I'm the only person doing this. Suddenly it's all about you. I thought it was for Jesus. But suddenly, you know, we have that tendency to think, you know, no, I'm not being noticed here. I mean, I've thought that myself from time to time. You know, you think that. Nobody sees what I'm doing. Nobody's aware of what's going on. You get distracted with much serving and, and you forget why it is you're doing it to begin with. This is one of the pitfalls of the, of the gift of help. So let me give you another pitfall that comes with this particular gift. Discouragement. <laughs> Galatians chapter six, verse nine. This is what it says. A wonderful verse. Encourage you to memorize it, write it down. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 
Sometimes when you're active in service and you're laboring, you remember Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The loiterers are many, but the laborers are few. And so there you are laboring in the harvest field and you're doing it and you just feel like, Where, I'm not, am I the only, what's happening? And you get discouraged and you're growing weary. It's easy when you have the gift of helps. If, if, if your eyes aren't on the Lord and remembering why it is you're doing it, you can be distracted, you can get discouraged because you think, it doesn't really seem like it's making that much of a difference. And some of the reward for what you do will not be seen until you get to heaven. You know, I think of the example of, of John the Baptist. Do you remember that John the Baptist's disciples at one point came to Jesus and they told him, uh, you know, uh, basically they told John that uh, everybody was following Jesus and, and then, you know, John, eventually Jesus starts talking about the ministry of John and John wasn't there when Jesus talked about him. But Jesus' assessment of John was that he was one of the greatest prophets of all time. And, and yet John just saw himself as a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was just helping. He was just assisting, just getting people to Jesus. And his disciples came to him and said, hey, John, do you know that everybody's leaving your ministry and following the guy that you baptized? I mean, I would think that maybe, John said, listen, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. I'm just, help. I'm just here to help. <laughs> It's not about me, it's about him. But when it becomes more about us than it does about him, it, it's easy to get discouraged. You can get weary in the work. You think, what's the use? It doesn't seem like there's anybody's really benefiting from it. It doesn't seem like anybody's really takes notice of it. And, and suddenly, um, you know, we, we lose sight of what we're doing and, and it becomes more about my need to be needed rather than just serving Jesus. It's something we want to be careful of. Another pitfall, I would say, and this is, this is one to keep in mind, the desire to be seen by others. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 1, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began by saying this to his disciples, to his followers. He said, take heed that you do your charitable deeds, not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, let's put it in this context, when you do something that's helpful, when you're operating in that gift of helps, whatever way you're helping, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he'll reward you openly. Don't worry about who's watching it. Don't worry about who's seeing it. Don't, don't worry about being seen by men, but being seen by your father in heaven. And when that's, when that's happening, then, then you're less concerned and you're just, you, you find joy in it. It's when you're distracted in it, it's when you are discouraged in the midst of it and you have a desire to be seen by other people that the gift of helps just really isn't, it's a curse rather than a gift rather than a blessing. So the Lord wants us to do it as unto him. Sometimes when people have the gift of helps, this is just something that you have to be careful of because somebody may have the gift of helps and, and it may come off like they're, they're, real, they may, they're pushy. I just want you to know who I am. and what I, It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, wait a second, you know? It seems pushy. I'm ready, I'll, I'll do whatever. What do you mean? But you realize, oh, maybe they just have the gift of helps. Sometimes you misread it. And they really do want to help. And that is their gift. And they need 
direction on how to be able to function in that particular thing. You don't have to be like offended or overtaken. I mean, sometimes people come on a little strong, but, but, but other people, they just, that's their gift. And so it's important that we help, help them find a way to use that gift. You know, I've found that the benefits of having the gift of helps is that there is joy given to both those who help and to those who are being helped. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Sometimes we think it's the opposite, but there's such joy in helping, in being a part of, of what, what's going on. And whether that's a small part or, or a more visible part, I just want you to understand something. To God, he doesn't measure it by how many people saw it. or what, He measures it by the motive, by the heart. God, what God sees is, is so much different than what man sees. What God observes and what God rewards is different than, than, what, um, than what we see. Again, if I may use a personal example, for me, what I do, I, I would not be able to do what I am doing right now in seeking to be a blessing to you if it weren't for people who have the gift of helps, who clean the sanctuary, who straighten the chairs, who clean the restrooms, who refill the toilet rolls, who mop the floors, who make the coffee, who serve your children, who help you find parking spots when there aren't any, ever. I mean, these are, these are things, you know, who, who oversee security to keep you safe, um, who are available to pray, who lead us in worship. And I mean, and, and I could go on and on and on, who pass out bulletins, who run the sound. I mean, there are so many things that we just kind of take for granted. We just show up and assume it's gonna be done. But we don't realize that there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because they want to serve Jesus and they just want to help. And, and I tell you, when, when you just have a heart to help, there's so much that can be done. We're not worried about who's getting the credit or who's visible. or who, It just doesn't matter. Then, then that's where I think the real joy comes in using this particular gift. One final passage I'd like to mention to you, Colossians chapter three, verse 17. And perhaps this will be a good way to conclude this particular gift. And it says this, and you probably know it, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do, whatever that is, whether that's standing in front of multitudes or it's doing something that nobody sees, whatever it is, in what you say or in the deeds that you do, the, the whole point is to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God. And really, it's ultimately for his glory is, is why we serve in these ways. And guys, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 25 that one day Jesus told the parable, the parable of the talents. And it doesn't mean a talent like you think of a talent show or I juggle or I dance or I juggle and dance. It's not, it's not, it's not talking about talents in that way. Sometimes people think that God is this divine talent scout. Well, let me see what I'm more got to work with there. Uh, no, I, we're good. We're good with that. We don't need, it's not that. It's basically the talents just, it, 
it's talking about what God's entrusted to us, whether that be our time or resources or the gifts that he's given us, whatever it is, whatever he, our life. <laughs> and, and one day we're gonna be rewarded for that. And in that particular parable, there were those who just wasted everything. They, ne- they didn't do anything with it. One particular individual, he buried it. He, he, never, he never helped, he didn't assist. He just, he didn't do anything ever. And Jesus reprimanded him. On the other hand, there were those who just were available, used whatever they had, did whatever they could for the glory of God and just jumped in and served and helped and, and God blessed it. And they were rewarded in this parable. And of course, folks, this is a picture that we're gonna be rewarded for what we've done. And even Jesus said, you remember, even a cup of cold water given to a child does not go unrewarded. It's all important to God. And so if you have the gift of helps, help. (laughs) Use that gift. If you're not sure if you have it, help and find out. Oh my goodness, I've got the gift. Make it, you know, and don't be one of those people, I don't, you know what, I don't, I don't have the gift of helps. So I, I have other gifts. No, I think, listen, we all can serve the Lord in some way. We're all called to serve the Lord. And it's just a matter of having an environment, having a community of people, a culture within a church that loves Jesus, loves one another, serves one another, and seeks to help meet needs. Paul told Titus, he said, listen, I want you to exhort that church to meet urgent needs. He said it three times. He exhorted them three times in that epistle. And by the way, he closed it. By the way, make sure you remind, I mean, just kept saying it. And if they needed to hear it there on the island of Crete, I'm sure we can be benefited by it here in South County. May God use us for his glory, for his purposes, that we might hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much tonight for your word and the examples in your word of the gift of helps. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to help and available to help and look for ways to help, to be servants in the church, servants in our home, to our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. Lord, that you said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And that, Lord, you really laid it out that the way up is the way down. So, Lord, help us to follow your example. Lord, if, if it's been just about us and just receiving, receiving, Lord, help us to, to have an, a renewed mind tonight, a different perspective, Lord. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us tonight? This evening, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, feel free to make your way up front. There'll be those available to pray with you for any needs that you might have. And and there are many people in in our church who have needs to to be prayed for and that may be you and and so encourage you um, feel free to just come on up we'll pray for you if you'd like one of the pastors to pray for you or if if you want to pray with one another that is always an option pray for one another and don't be afraid to say hey can I pray something pray for you this week about something I mean what what a blessing it is to just to, to know somebody's praying for you 
then to see him next time at service and say, hey, what's happening with that? I've been praying for you. What's going on? I mean, that kind of environment in a church is so healthy. Pray for one another. Why well, don't I have a ministry? Ask somebody how you can pray for them and go and pray for them. That's a ministry of prayer. We need more prayer warriors in the fellowship. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. And um, as we continue our study through the epistle of Romans, God bless you guys tonight. Thanks for being here.